Hello everyone, we're your hosts Khaled Ammada and welcome to the very first episode of the Unified for Palestine podcast where we talk to different Palestinians around the world about their Palestinian identity. In this episode, we speak to the comedian and activist Amar Zah. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. First of all, can you tell us a bit about your background um, for all those listening to this podcast? Well, I was born in Jordan and then um, we moved to America. Well, my dad was a political activist, so we kind of got kicked out of Jordan. And we went to America when I was three years old. And I grew up outside of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So when I was 18, I moved to Michigan uh, to go to college. And Michigan is home to the largest Arab American community. Um, And then I did my college and my master's degree and my law degree all in Michigan. And I stayed here and I now live in a city called Dearborn, Michigan, which is the largest Arab American community in in the whole United States. And I'm right in the middle of it. That's pretty cool. Um, Do do you feel like you fit in in that community? Well, I mean, this community is, is, you know, Palestinians are part of it, but not the largest part of it. It's mostly Lebanese and Yemeni and Iraqi, and we have a lot of Palestinians too. But I mean, look, yeah, I mean, I fit, I love being around my people, you know, so it's just fun to be around Arabs and comfortable, you know, and it's, it's still America, obviously. So, uh, um, but it's really, really beautiful uh, community that lives here. You know, people know each other, uh, people look out for each other. So I really love it. Yeah, I, I love being here. That's great. Um, so how, how do you view your own identity? like you as Amr, how do you you view yourself? And how do you identify yourself? Well, I'm Palestinian, I am American, I am Arab, you know, all those things all at once, you know, not more, not one more than the other. I mean, Palestine, because of our struggle, is always at the forefront. Uh, But, you know, I view identities as like, you know, different identities are like uh, different um, colors of paint, right? And when you, when you put them together uh, and you mix them up, now you get a whole new color and you can't extract the original colors anymore, you know? And so that's what identity is like, you know? Identity is all these different things coming together and then you end up, you know, finding your own thing. It's, it's this intersection of so many different things. So I'm, I'm Arab, I'm Palestinian, I'm American. You know, I come from a, um, a history that is deeply connected to uh, Islam. I also have a parent who is an Arab Christian, so I'm connected to that identity a little bit. You know, all these different things play into it. I'm bald. That's another identity, you know. So all these different things play into, uh, play into things all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I'm, I'm not just Palestinian, so I'm also Syrian. And um, like, right. I definitely get you when you say that it's, it's not like um, a one thing, like identity is not like just something that you can extract as you said it's it's a mixture of all these aspects and all these feelings inside of you so yeah and meta you know like you know i would never if you ever told me that you were half palestinian i I'd, I'd punch you in the face because there's no such thing as a half <laughs> Pal- there's no such thing as a half palestinian okay thank you <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> palestinian is uh, if, if you are a little bit Palestinian and you identify now, 
we don't let you, you can't just say you're Palestinian, you have to be a little bit Palestinian. But if you, I always, I always think of it like this, if you're Palestinian enough for the Israelis to mess around with you when you show up at the border, then you're just as Palestinian as anyone else, you know? And so that's the way we all have to see each other. So you're not half, you are fully Palestinian. And if you choose to be fully Syrian and fully whatever else you are, that's great. That's how identity works. It's it, it, putting percentages on it is really silly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, thank you so much for saying that. I mean, we could just close right now. That's it. That's the whole point of this. <laughs> I'm joking. But um, so the whole thing also came about like we we did a protest about the annexation of Palestine, um, and then like people came up to me like, "Man, you're half Palestinian. Like, why are you doing this?" I'm like, "Yeah, but I'm still Palestinian." Like why are we dividing each other when we need to present a united front in order to face that struggle, you know? So, uh, I mean, that's an interesting point. I mean, nobody, nobody ever, and look, Barack Obama biologically is half black, but people don't go around calling him the first half black president or, the first, <laughs> or, or a black, you know, the half black politician. He's black, you know, because your identity and, and you know, Palestinian is a, um, you know, whether you call it ethnicity or race or whatever, you know, it has a lot of gravity to it. What do I, you know, what do I expect if, you know, if, if, Meta, if you're, if you're, you know, genetically half Palestinian, then should I only expect half of you to Palestine or half of your effort when you are protesting or no, we are all in this together. And guess what? Palestinians were made into refugees by the Israelis. There's millions of us hanging out unwillingly against our will in different places of the world. So of course we marry and have kids with a lot of other kinds of people. I mean, you know, you know so I mean, the, the, the notion, and by the way, Palestinians were pretty good about this. We don't really play that half Palestinian thing too much, but, um, but if we do it once, it's too much and we should never do it. We are all Palestinian, we're all in this together. Definitely. No, we agree. I mean, how do you, you know, you know, listen, yeah, guess what? Gigi Hadid, totally Palestinian. I don't of care course. where her mom's from. I don't care what I don't, you know, I'm claiming her 100%, you know, 100%. Gigi Hadid, Bella Hadid, Anwar, they're all, they're all Palestinian. I'm not going to tell people they're half Palestinian. Definitely. You know? Now, I, mean, I wish I could tell, I wish, I wish I could tell people that DJ Khaled is half Palestinian, but he's not. Unfortunately, I think he's fully fully Palestinian. <laughs> well, um, I'm also Palestinian-American. And just to touch on what you said earlier, when I was younger, I'd always try to like, try to try to identify myself in a way that, okay, which one am I? You know, I can't, I can't really be both properly. Am I American? Am I Palestinian? Whereas now, I would totally agree with everything you said. Um, identity is not so easy. And, you know, you're, you're everything. You're not just one thing or part of one thing and part of another thing so yeah, it's like it's like it's like um if you take blue paint and yellow paint and put them together and mix it up what do you get uh, i failed the art at school like i can't tell you <laughs> what, do, what, do blue, what, do, what do blue and yellow make blue and yellow makes green okay, okay. so you get listen uh meta Khaled, i go around the world telling people that Palestinians are the smartest, most overachieving people in the world, and you're really not helping. <laughs> we can help in other aspects. Blue and yellow make green, okay? okay. So, but, 
But when you put when you put blue paint and yellow paint together and you mix them up, you have green paint. That's a new identity. It's all blue and all yellow all the time, and you can't separate out the blue and yellow. And that's what identity is. So there is no such thing again as being, you know, uh, half the, you know, you, you you say all these things. You're Palestinian, Arab, American, but you're all those things all the time. There's no percentages or it's not. And being Palestinian, as we all know is not a part-time job, okay? It is a full-time job. It is a full-time struggle. It's relentless. It's always following us where we are. So, you know, for people out there, you know, I'm, you know, if, 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 if Meta has one parent who's Palestinian or Khaled has one parent who's Palestinian, what does that mean? That half the time you can just sort of like relax and not be Palestinian? No, you're Palestinian all the time. You know, when the news happens or when people try to steal your food or whatever, you can't just take time off. So we're all Palestinian all the time. That's the way I look at it. Definitely. Under, under I agree. Um, so just to share a personal aspect to, get, to kind of relate to you, um, for, like you have a Christian parent, you said. Um, for example, I was born into a family where my dad had to convert to marry my mother. I mean, we have a Christian family on my dad's side. Um, so always like celebrating everything, like Christmas, Eid, Ramadan, everything, like super cool growing up. Um, but there wasn't this talk about religion as well. Like, for example, I, I was studying um, Christianity at school for like six months up until my mother, before the exams, she's preparing me and she was like, you know, you're Muslim, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what is that? What is Islam? Like, can you teach me? So like, we went to school and we changed and switched classes and all that. So it's definitely um, interesting. Can you share your um, views like about that or your like your religious identity, maybe? Um yeah i mean look uh i always tell people that i have a you know both my parents are palestinian i have a christian dad and a muslim mom which is uh technically called the uh, haram combination yeah and um you know this is the result you know we saw that in your open mic we saw that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny yeah. <laughs> yeah. and uh and you know this is the result you know a you know a 43 year old single comedian you know that's the result so um look in our house, thanks for getting my hopes up. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Um, in our house, maybe somebody will have you on a podcast when you're 43, 43 and alone in your house, you'll be on a podcast. But um, um, look, uh, religion was uh, present in our household when we were growing up, but it was not central. When somebody asks me, "What's my religion?" First of all, I just think it's such a weird question. I mean, I I just view religion as a as a personal thing. And, yeah. you know, as far as I know, the only people going around the world that ask you, what's your religion is uh, Donald Trump and ISIS. Like, these are the only people that like actually like knock on your door and ask you. So um, I, 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 and Palestinians, we've done a pretty good job actually over the years of not making religion as a, um, as a, as a, as a tool of separation um, in our, in our communities. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I'll throw around the world like, uh, Krishlam or, you know, I'll tell people, uh, you know, the stories about how the Israelis are always confused when I tell them that my grandfather's names are Elias and Muhammad, you know, this is very confusing to them. They don't know what to do. Um, and when somebody asks me, what's my religion, I tell them that I'm Palestinian. And if they say that's not a religion, I say, yes, it is. You know, if your religion is the thing that sort of 
gets you up every morning and tries to motivate you to do something good and centers your morality and makes you, gives you energy. Well, for me, that's Palestine. You know, for other people, if it's a name of a religion, good for them and whatever, you know, whatever they want to, whatever they want to use. But for me, Palestine and the nobility uh, of our struggle and the justice that is centered in our lives, that's what pushes me every day to go and try to do a little bit of good, if I can, in the world as, as, as far as Palestine is concerned. But, you know, re religion and far, as far as like a faith and that kind of thing, I've never heard, I never heard my parents talk about it. You know, they never told us that we were one religion or the other. My dad didn't sort of do a conversion for my mom. You're like, none of that ever happened in our family. And, um, you know, I feel bad sometimes for other people. When I was a kid, I was confused. But as I got older, I, you know, it's kind of very beautiful to be involved because, because especially being Palestinian, because being Palestinian and, and Arab in general, but especially Palestinian, sometimes we don't see it in the diaspora, like in America or, or other places, but in Palestine especially and in our communities, Christianity and Islam are both native to our communities. Like one is not the guest of the other. One is not, you know, a native and the other one is foreign. They are both originally native to our culture and who we are. I mean, we're talking about the birthplace of Jesus and Christianity and one of the most holy sites in, in Islam where, you know, one of the most important stories of Islam happened. So, you know, this is uh, uh, something beautiful about being Palestinian. There's, there's no Palestinian who, especially if they grow up in Palestine, there's no Palestinian Muslim who feels uncomfortable in a church and there's no Palestinian Christian who feels uncomfortable in a mosque. This is who we are. We are, we are, that's one of the beauties of our um, history and our culture. So the notion, there's probably no people in the world who would be more likely to have like a Christian parent and a Muslim parent than Palestinians. I mean, it makes the most sense for us, probably more than anybody else. And so uh, to me, it's very normal that a Palestinian family would have like one Christian parent and one Muslim parent, much more normal probably than it would be anywhere else in the world. Um, we thought that was pretty symbolic. Which part of Palestine are you from exactly? Nazareth, Palestine, where Jesus is from, okay? Where <laughs> Jesus and Mary are from, okay? So the most, clearly the most important city and all of Palestine. I mean, without Nazareth, really, what would Palestine be? I mean, Palestine would just, no one would want to come there. No one would want to visit. So you know, I mean, you know, what makes Palestine important? Jesus is kind of at the center, center of it. So uh, um, uh, I'm from Nazareth, Palestine. But I mean, I love every place in Palestine. We're all Palestinians. But yeah, my roots from my dad's side come from uh, Nazareth and Diafa. And my roots from my mom's side come from Nazareth and the Akka, which is also one of the most beautiful cities in Palestine. Yaffa too, I mean, we, look, Palestine is so beautiful. When you go around Palestine, you, uh, and you see how beautiful it is and all the history that's there, you know, you really start to understand why these people want to steal it from us. I mean, like, you know, it, it makes, yeah, I mean, uh, I understand why they want to steal it. It's beautiful, you know, it's beautiful, it's great. It's, it has so much history. Um, so, 
you know, the biggest lie they ever said was that they came to a, a, a land without a people for a people without a land. You know, this is, this is a lie. You know, like I said in my video a few months ago, you know, um, <laughs> you know they, didn't, they didn't come to somewhere that had nothing. So, so you know, this, this kind of history that we have, I'm from Nazareth, but everywhere is beautiful. But I think we can all agree that Nazareth is a little, little extra. You know, we put, we put out Jesus. We put out, we, we, we put out Mary. I mean, you know, if you want to understand the power of the people of Nazareth, just understand this. We were able to get a woman pregnant without touching her. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, I'm not aware of anyone else in the world that has been able to do that. I mean, all we did was look at her and she got pregnant. And, and, and this is why Palestinians have the highest birth rate on planet Earth. Because, I mean, if we can get someone pregnant just by looking at them, what do you think is going to happen when we start touching each other, you know? <laughs> you know, when you actually put us in a room with each other and you turn off the lights, that's why. That's why you go back home to Palestine and you find any man and you say to him, how many kids do you have? And he says, uh, one, two, three, four, five. And you say, how old are they? And he says, uh, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> so, you know, we work hard. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> We're touching, touching on Yaffa and what you just said about um, how they said they turned the desert into something beautiful. Yaffa oranges, we came up with that way before they did, and they took all the credit for it. Well, everything. I mean, you know, uh, why is Ben Gurion Airport where it is? Because we already had an airport there. They didn't build an airport there. I mean, we, we had an airport there. I mean, you know, there's TV shows, there's American TV shows that when they go back uh, and they want to have, they want to shoot a scene in an Arab looking place, they go to Haifa and Yaffa. And like, I mean, you know, there was one American TV show which wanted to shoot a scene in Beirut and they used Haifa as a place to resemble Beirut because Haifa looks just like Beirut. Well, of course they look just like each other. They're like an hour away from, from, away from each other. So, I mean, you know, it is, it is uh, uh, the biggest lie that they have told over the years is that they, you know, made the desert bloom. They made something out of nothing. I mean, this is like just a complete craziness and delusion. By the way, Americans do the same thing. You know, Americans walk around and, and they and they say, you know, come visit me in San Antonio. Like, well, why is it called San Antonio? Well, because Mexico. there was Mexicans. There was Mexicans there. Okay, we have we have like thirty of our states have Native American names. Come on to Mississippi. Well, what does Mississippi? Mississippi is a Native American name. Michigan is a Native American name. Tennessee, Kentucky. But you know, Americans will just—they still live that same sort of dilute. This is why America and Israel get along very well. They have that same sort of delusion and they will you know they will come out you know i mean imagine donald trump he gets on tv and he says we have to make sure we keep the mexicans out of el paso <laughs> <laughs> i mean what they named it of course of course they get to live there they named it so you know okay. This, this sort of delusion is very common among like, you know, colonial settler people who have this disease where they have to convince, by the way, 
we're the victims of it, but they're also the victims of it in the sense of like, that's a real delusion that you have to like convince, you have to go to such lengths to convince yourself that you belong there. And they start using Arabic words and then tell themselves that these are Hebrew words. So they go around and they say sababa, you know, sababa is an Arabic word. But if you ask someone to, if you ask Gal Gadot to teach you a Hebrew word, she says sababa. She, if you ask Gal Gadot to teach you a Hebrew word, she says yalla. Now, you know, and, and so why do they, why do they eat hummus and listen to Im Kaltum and speak Arabic words? Why? Because they came to a place where all that shit was already happening. Okay. And so they just did what the land told them to do. And so you, in a way you got to feel bad for these people, man. I mean, it's like, it's such delusion that they're living under and, um, and, and it happens, uh, you know, so much. It's like, okay. I, when I go to Akka, I notice it the most in Akka, but you see it in Jerusalem, you see it in a lot of the lands, the Palestinian lands that are in the 1948 lands. <clears throat> if you walk on the shore in Akka, there is like one part of it where there is an Israeli flag like every 10 feet, like just flag, 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 flag. flag. And I saw that and I thought to myself, I said, you know, the first time I saw it, I got really angry. I was like, man, these guys are putting these flags here. They're doing it just to piss me off and they want me to get angry and all that kind of stuff. And then I realized, I said, you know what? These flags, they're not for me. They're for them. They're for them to remind themselves that they belong there because without the flags, they know that they don't belong there. So they need to keep putting their flags everywhere say oh this is ours this okay that's ours okay that's ours. because they don't know we don't need flags we have our names and our history and 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 everything that we've done there for thousands of years we know we belong there we don't need to put a flag every five uh, feet to say this is palestine but they're putting flags everywhere because they know they know that they're not really from there you know, they're lucky that we are a very peaceful, welcoming people. You know, we say to them, look, you guys want to stay? I mean, now we've gotten to the point where we want to say, look, you guys want to stay? Okay, fine, whatever. But everybody needs to be treated equally. That's a big, major compromise on our part. I mean, we are very, like, happy, peaceful people. Uh, and we have every right not to be that peaceful, but we are. We're very peaceful. We're very happy. We're very welcome. Just like Arabs, you know? I mean, Arabs lie all the time that we're so welcoming that we lie about it. You know, like when, <laughs> when, when somebody comes to your house and it's getting late, you know, it's like 1130 at night and you want them to leave. Okay. And, and they get up and they finally say after an hour of, of just talking about nothing and they finally say, well, you know, it's, it's getting late. I should go. What do we say to them? No, no, stay, stay over. Stay over. <laughs> no, stay. Sleep over. We don't mean it, okay? We don't mean any of that. But, but it's, 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 that's how welcoming we are. The only problem is, you know, I guess the Israelis took us seriously when they showed up, you know. They didn't understand that in our culture, when we say stay, it means go, you know. But, uh, but they ended up staying. But we are very peace-loving, happy. We're the happiest people on planet Earth, despite everything. And, uh, and that's where a lot of our strength comes from. Because, look, we, we are, we, they have more guns than us. They have more tanks and helicopters and all that kind of stuff. But we're the ones 
that sleep well at night. You know, as a Palestinian, I go to sleep every night and I wake up the next morning knowing that I'm on the side of justice. I'm not worried about if anyone is going to figure out my big lie, you know, or like, when is all of this going to get uncovered? I can only imagine that that's how they're living every day. You know, like they know that this is a big, big lie looking over their shoulder, not believing that they even got away with it for this long. You know, we don't have that problem. That's one of the reasons Palestinians sometimes have a problem getting like politically organized is because we just say, well, why should we have to get politically organized? Because we're right. Well, yeah, we are right. We're on the right side of history, but we still have to get, you know, politically organized and do and do all the right things. So, um, you know, but I, I'm very sort of, I never say that I'm proud that I'm Palestinian. I'm proud of other Palestinians, but I don't say I'm proud that I'm Palestinian because I didn't, I didn't achieve becoming Palestinian. It just happened to me. But I'm very happy. If I had to pick anything, I'm happy that it turned out this way because I really do believe that we are the most beautiful people on planet Earth and there's nothing more um, 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 fulfilling and more divine than being Palestinian. Wise Actually, words were never spoken. Beautifully said. Yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, I think we can we can all um, agree on that. So where where are you guys from in Palestine? I'm from Jerusalem and Haifa from my dad's side, and Tulkarim and Haifa from my mother's side. Are you a uh, uh, Jerusalem like Jerusalem, Jerusalem, or outside of Jerusalem? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like um, okay, like the like, like the old city or what part? Like the old city, yeah. Oh wow, that's great. There's a there's a little part called Fusha Shahabi, which is like the old residential area where the Shahabis used to live. There actually oh, okay. still are some over there. Um, I don't know them personally, but I've spoken to them. In theory, okay. they're my cousins. I have not proven it, but yeah. <laughs> nice. And where where do you live? You live in America. Uh, we live in Budapest. Oh, you um, but you but you said you're American too. Yeah, so I'm from California. Okay. <clears throat> All right. And how about you, Meda? I am, um, so my mom is from Yaffa, basically. Um, my great-grandmother on the way out of Palestine, she gave birth to my grandma inside the car. Oh, wow. On the border, yeah, the Jordan. And then they went to Syria. So where did, did you grow up in Syria? I, um, I lived for seven years in Syria. Okay. And then um, we had to move um, for some reasons. And uh, yeah, we went to the UAE for 10 years. Okay. And then I came here to Europe, basically. I was actually born, I grew up in Dubai. Like, my identity is a whole, like, cluster of <laughs> different things. Yeah. It's okay. You don't have to make the Dubai part part of your identity. That just happens <laughs> to be where you live. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to make them part of our identity anymore. But, um, but that's really cool. Okay, great. And you guys are both in college in Budapest? Is that why you're there or what? So, um I moved here because I, I was supposed to go to Canada originally, but I, uh, I played football as well. So I wanted to pursue that here in Europe. And I um, also studied in university, and that's where I'm at Khalid. We just graduated this summer. Graduated. We're working, and um, it's remote now, like everything else in the world at the moment. So we're, we're just chilling here until there's some, some reason to go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, is, there, is there a Palestinian community in Hungary, in Budapest? There is, and they're actually not that bad. There's like 40, 50 people, and they're active. And um, just the other day, we made a bunch of soap, and this guy helped us, um, Nabilsi Soap. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they helped us as well with the protests and, and all that kind of stuff. 
Very yeah. cool. There's actually a lot of Palestinians also from the West Bank who end up coming here as well. Yeah, that's very cool. Okay. Okay. Um, so I want to ask you, so we know you're a comedian. We read that you identify as an activist. Um, why did you start comedy? Did it have something to do with you playing your part as a Palestinian activist? And um, how important do you think comedy is as a way of directing attention towards activism for Palestine? Yeah, I mean, I started doing comedy in law school uh, just as a sort of on a whim. There was a, a comedian coming and they needed to, the student group that was bringing him needed other people to just sort of fill in the time before the comedian went on stage. So I said, hey, I'll try. You know, I tried and I and I tried and uh, I told a couple stories about my dad and everybody laughed. And I was like, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty cool, you know? And, uh, and so I, from there, started realizing that, okay, maybe I like this. Maybe this is a good thing. I, in the beginning, I was, I mean, a much different style now than I was in the beginning. You learn a lot. But I realized very quickly that it can be a great tool for activism because if you make, if you make people laugh, they listen to you. You know, it's sort of like a relaxing mm -hmm. technique, you know? I mean, everyone tries to use humor, even in corporate settings. You know, if you're about to have a two hour long, boring corporate seminar, your boss might try to tell you a joke in the beginning just to loosen everybody up. Now, you know, he might not always be successful, but that's what he tries because that, that's the power of, of humor. And uh, stand-up comedy is just a way, you know, uh, stand-up comedy is a form of activism, is a form of protest in its rawest, sort of most original form. And so um, that's how I use it. In the beginning, I was only telling sort of cultural jokes to, uh, because I, I wasn't sure yet how to use comedy in a political way. But I, I, I very quickly learned that giving a political message with comedy can be very powerful because, um, you know, especially as a Palestinian, you know, what are we trying to point out as Palestinians? We're trying to point out sort of how ridiculous and hypocritical and, and just crazy our situation is. And comedy is an effective way to do that for all audiences. So if they're not Palestinian, they're sort of learning about us and, and humor lets them relax and learn about it a little bit better. If the audience is Palestinian, sometimes it's like, you know, therapeutic, you know, you just laugh and sort of like go through a shared experience. You know, I always tell people, and I wrote it in my book, I said, um, you know, we've all seen somebody laugh so much that they start they crying. crying. Yeah. But you can also see somebody cry so much, they start laughing because the emotions are actually connected in some way, especially in their most extreme forms. So, um, you know, comedy can be therapeutic, it can be educational, it can be activism, and all those things at once. Now, on stage, I have to make people laugh. You know, my first job is to make you laugh, because if I can't make you laugh, then I can't achieve any of the other stuff I'm trying to achieve. Um, but I do always say that, you know, I'm an activist first and comedy is my, my tool. Um, it's my tool of choice. Um, but I try to be active in other ways as well, you know, but, but comedy as I found is extremely uh, effective. And luckily I've been able to build a sort of, you know, following as a, a you know, a comedian who talks about Palestine through his comedy. And, um, you know, I'm not sure there's anyone else who sort of is, identified in that way. I wish there was actually, but uh, um, I, I'm very, very happy 
that my community especially has been sort of very supportive of that around the world and has recognized that. And the truth is, if I chose to be sort of less Palestinian, um, I might have been able to gain more success in sort of mainstream America, you know, because, you know, if you're Palestinian, if you're really Palestinian, that's still like the last thing you're not allowed to be in America. You, exactly. You can, you can, <laughs> it, it's gotten better. Like you can be Muslim now, you can be Arab, but like Palestinian is the last thing you're not allowed to talk about. And, um, uh, but, you know, when I go back home to Palestine and I'm walking on the streets in Ramallah or Haifa or whatever, and people stop me and they say, hey, Amir, thanks a lot for doing what you do and say what you say. You know, that's more important to me than anything Hollywood might ever be able to give me. So um, I'm, I'm very happy with the way things have, have turned out and hopefully it can, it can go down uh, that road for a lot longer. Beautiful. Um, we kind of noticed that comedy usually comes from tragedy and a lot of comedians have that um, tragic past. How do you find that balance in portraying the serious issues with comedy? I mean, personally, I tried to do it once, stand up and I mean, it was not that bad, just in the name of seeking discomfort. Um, but the moment I cracked a serious joke, everybody went silent. So how do you find that balance to make them laugh while also hitting that spot of tragedy as well and make them listen? Well, um, first of all, maybe, maybe the joke you told, you know, maybe it needs some work. Probably. I mean, you know, who knows? But uh, uh, look, when you're on stage, the audience wants to, wants to uh, hear how you view the world, right? And they want to hear that through humor, but they want to learn about you. That's, that's what stand -up, makes stand-up comedy different than anything else. It's not acting. It's not singing the words and music that somebody else wrote. It is a 100% solo performance, and they want to know that you are the one who has created what you're saying to them. And so they want, they want to get it. So the audience actually wants you to succeed and they want to learn more about you. And so when you understand that the comedic sort of atmosphere can be very welcoming to your authentic story and you understand that you, can, you have to be very transparent, but you have to also understand that the audiences are very smart and they know when you're not doing that and just trying to get a laugh for, for any reason, uh, that is, when, when you realize all that and you, and you use that to your advantage, you know, that's, that's the way. So, so I always say to myself on stage, it's like, you know, I have to say something funny every, you know, at least every 45 seconds or a minute that makes them laugh um, if I'm okay. trying to talk about other stuff as well. Um, so, but what I'll do in my shows is I'll spend maybe the first you know, a few minutes talking about cultural stuff or stuff that's not political to get them on my side, to make them understand, look, I just want to make you laugh. And then later on, I'll bring in the political stuff. And then much later on, I'll bring in maybe the dirty stuff if I'm saying anything dirty on stage that night. And, um, and, and it's, it's sort of like a journey, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like an M. Kaltoum song. You know, M. Kaltoum song yeah. in the beginning, the, before she even sings, there's like five or six minutes of music, sometimes 10 minutes yeah. of music that just sort of like gets you in the mood. And before she tells you whatever terrible story she's telling you, right? I kind of like, you know, M. M. Kalthum lyrics are never happy. Never, yeah. <laughs> it's, never, it's never happy. 
Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, um, and she builds you up, right? To those things. And by the way, M. Kultum does that. She sings and then she says a part to end the, that part of the song. Um, and then she sings another different part. And then she goes back and sings the same part that ended the part before. Yeah. So there's always this like return to like, you know, um, um, uh, uh, what we call in comedy a callback, you mm -hmm. know, like reminding somebody of something you said before and that sort of links everything together. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of a structure lends itself very well to storytelling and the comedy. So really, it's about being honest and transparent in the beginning, but you also have to learn how to structure things on stage um, so that they hit at sort of the tragedy and the comedy at the same time. So like when I tell this joke about, you know, an Arab guy giving a confirmation number, you know, um, this is like, uh, uh, you know, I, I started out with saying, you know, Arabs can't say the letter P. So, you know, they <laughs> it's always a B. So I say, okay, your confirmation number is A as in Abel, okay? <laughs> And then B as in Bitter. Okay. <laughs> right. And then, and then, but for the third one, I'll say, and then the next letter is O as in the occupation of the Palestinian people. Okay. So, you know, where, where you know, you're throwing, you're throwing that in there to say, yeah, I mean, yeah, we have this like P and B problem, but we're still like obsessed with politics and who we are. And Palestine is always at the begin at the front of what we're doing and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it's, it, it's about being real, you know, you don't want to be sort of like in somebody's face too much, you know, you want to, you want to be able to give that message and make it feel real and authentic and, and make them comfortable. Remember, you present something on stage as a comedian, you present something to people, you hope that it works, but it's not like music where you make a composition and you say, okay, I put it out there in the world and, and uh, you know, if you like it, you like it. And if you don't like it, that's fine, but I'm not going to change it. Comedy okay. is not like that. Comedy is like, if you tell a joke on stage and it doesn't work, you can't just say to yourself, well, I thought that's funny. So that's it. I'm just going to keep telling that joke. <laughs> no, you have to change it. You, you have to change it. You have to figure out ways to make it work because the audience is what decides what's funny. Not you, you know, you're, you hope that you can present it in a way, but, but they're the ones who decide. So that's kind of the way I look at that in a general way. Definitely. I mean, we can call you them because it's more comedy from now on. <laughs> 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 but you are the Palestinian comedian. I'm not sure how yeah, many right? more there True. are. Um, I mean, there's other, you know, and sadly, there's other comedians who are Palestinian, but they don't make Palestine the center of what they talk about. And that's kind of, that's kind of sad to me because we have an opportunity as Palestinians to tell our story. And we're not just sort of like a casual group of people. You know, I wish we were, but we're not. We're not just sort of like a group of people like anyone else in the world. We are a group of people who is undergoing the last colonial settler enterprise on planet Earth that is still kicking us out of our land and treating us differently because of who we are. Like, there's a lot of gravity to who we are. And to me, that comes with a responsibility, especially among artists and politicians and those kind of people, to always be talking about it. Because there, and there's a real beauty to that. And so, you know, I hate when I see a Palestinian comedian who is, you know, they're Palestinian or they're Arab, 
and they're just sort of like telling the same jokes white people tell. And I'm like, you know, who, that's not interesting. You know, I mean, who cares? You know, um, but they say, well, I want to show that we're just like everybody else. Well, if you want to show that we're just like everybody else, then you're playing the game that white people want you to play, which is don't express your culture, just sort of mix in, fit in with everybody else, because we don't want to be threatened by that. We would just want everybody to just like, and like, no, we have like a real problem. We have a real story. We have to tell it. And so, yeah, be super duper Palestinian all the time because it's working. It's working. I mean, we've been doing that for 70 years and our message is getting through. You know, in America, things are changing. Around the world, things are changing, especially among younger people. So we got to keep doing it. So I tell people all the time, every day, just say a little something about Palestine on your social media, just a little bit. Even if it's just a picture of food or, or, or somebody dancing, just make sure the word Palestine is in there somewhere. So that just a little bit every day, because it really makes a big difference because everyone, every Palestinian is a, sort of like a leader in their own right. And every Palestinian is um, very influential among their group of friends. Like your friends who are not Palestinian know that you're the Palestinian. And they want to hear certain things from you. So be that, never be afraid to be as Palestinian as, as you want to be and as you can be. And yes, the world will make you feel sometimes like you shouldn't be. But that's just when you give the world a big middle finger and you tell them, no, I'm going to be as Palestinian as I want to be because we do have a story to tell. This shit is still going on and we need to be very loud about it. Once you say you're Palestinian, basically, you need to be political. You cannot be Palestinian and not political at the same time. Yeah, I mean, our presence, our presence has a gravity to it. I mean, obviously, right? I mean, if you, I, I, there's so many times where I would tell say, somebody to say to me, where are you, uh, so where are you originally from? I say, I'm Palestinian. And they say, oh, you know what? I don't really want to talk about politics. That would be the first thing they say to me, okay? So but I mean, you asked. Like, but you, you just know, asked, so, yeah. You just asked. Yeah, well, well, yeah. And, and so obviously our presence has a lot of gravity to it, right? And there's True. a lot of power in it. So look in America. In America, three years ago, there's 535 people in the American Congress, 435 people in the House of Representatives, 100 people in the Senate. Three years ago, there was um, uh, no uh, Palestinian uh, elected people. I mean, there was one guy, but he wasn't really, he never really talked about it. And, 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 and everything was moving along fine. Then in 2018, we were able to elect one Palestinian woman, Rashida. One, one person out of 535, one, and everything changed. I mean, one True. person got elected out of 535 and APAC all of a sudden started having meetings about changing everything that they do. Okay. Oh my God. We have, what are we going to do now? And one, one person, not, not 10, not 20, not 50, one. And it changed the entire way the pro-Israel um, lobby did their work in America. That means that there's a lot of power in being who we are, right? So let's use that to our advantage. People say, sometimes people say, oh, we just need to play the game until we get a lot more people. Why? What, what evidence? We got one and it changed the world. I mean, APAC and the pro-Israel lobbies had to have meetings 
Like, what no, are we doing now? Person. Like, what, what is this happening? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they just, what do we do? They got one. That's how scared they are of us. Okay. And so let's understand the power of that. And today we have Iman Jodeh. Yeah, well, we she's not in Congress. Some people thought she's in Congress. She's not in Congress. She's in a state uh, legislature in Colorado, but hopefully yeah. one day she'll be in Congress. And uh, we have Palestinians moving up in politics around, around the country. So, and hopefully one day they'll all be in Congress, um, the good ones, the ones that have good politics. Hopefully one day they'll all be in Congress. But, um, but we have to understand how much power we have. There's a lot of power Definitely. in being who we are and talking about our cause. Definitely. True. Um, okay, and you're also, you're also an author, so you're, you're many things. I want to talk a bit about your book, um, Being Palestinian Makes Me Smile. What do you want people to get out of that book exactly? Well, I, you know, it's sort of a collection of, of writings from over the years, and I just want people to sort of at least understand how this Palestinian thinks. You know, when I see certain things in the world, how I react from a Palestinian mind. And that's what that book was about. You know, it's sort of like a bunch of, a bunch of short sort of stories or letters or experiences about my sort of reactions to happenings in the world. And so, um, you know, no one can ever say that they speak for all Palestinians, but we can say that, you know, as a Palestinian, I have a, a voice. And this is how Palestine has affected the way that I see the world. And that's kind of the, the larger message that I would love people to get uh, from my book. I honestly love your love the title of your book. That's just yeah, enough for me to get, it, to get into it myself. <laughs> like the title makes me smile. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And then there's, there's um, what you did for Bernie Sanders in his rallies. Now, he's the first or one of the first politicians to bring Palestine um you know on such a on such a high level on national politics um why do you decide to to open for him in his rallies and what what do you think in general of everything he's been saying well look what bernie represented was a a change in the normal way of doing business so bernie is bernie is not uh perfect on the palestinian question he has a lot of work to do like a lot of other politicians but he, he understood that justice should be at the center of the questions that we ask when it's about Palestine. Um, and uh, he changed the conversation at the highest levels of government. And so there was an opportunity there for Palestinians and Arabs in America to finally see a presidential campaign that where they could feel like they belonged and where they could feel like there was actually something being said to them. And that's very powerful, you know, for us to feel uh, in a political climate, which has made being Arab and especially being Palestinian a dirty word for such a long time. There's something very special about that campaign. Now, it was only a, but it was part of a process. So if, if he had won, and even, even if he didn't win, it's part of a process of continuing that narrative of justice for Palestinians in the political world. And that kind of thing is something that I think we all have to take advantage of. So I viewed the Bernie movement as an opportunity to highlight Palestine again um, because of what he said 
But we Palestinians had to be the ones who amplified it and showed that we support that kind of thing and invigorate our communities. And it worked, you know, when, when Bernie ran uh, here in the Arab communities in Michigan, he caused a 50% increase in the turnout of voters, and he caused 85% of voters to vote for him over Joe Biden in the, in the primary election. So that strategy worked. Um, you know, there were a lot of other reasons why Bernie didn't make it through to the nomination. Uh, but in general, I think that, you know, that's what Bernie was uh, uh, and, and still is, an opportunity to um, show that Palestine is something that not only Palestinians believe in, but that progressives believe in. It's an issue of justice and a way to empower our communities here in America to get involved in the political process. You know, I'm not one of those people that says, I mean, I think most politicians are terrible and I think they're mostly liars. <clears throat> But I also believe that we have to be involved in the political process in a way here um, for two reasons. Number one, uh, if we're not involved, then our oppressors will be the ones who decide our fate politically. And number two, if, if us progressive ones who want to center Palestine are not involved, then you're gonna have a bunch of sellout Arabs who are the ones that are involved, who are sort of, sort of telling the Israelis and the pro-Israel lobbies that, okay, you can do whatever you want as long as you let me as an Arab go like shake hands with Joe Biden or, or whatever. And so we have to make sure that the right voices are the ones that are speaking up for our cause. Okay. I mean, he did say that Palestinians deserve rights, which is true. That was kind of bizarre that it blew up that much, you know, in 2021 or 2020. Yeah. Sorry, you have to say that. Yeah, um, I mean, look, the, there, there, yeah, there's a lot to be, there's a lot of work that needs to be, Bernie, Bernie exposed just how sort of dehumanized Palestinians have been in the political process for a long time. You're right, because when he says Palestinians deserve dignity and there's a standing ovation, you're like, okay, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm happy you're standing <laughs> up and clapping, but I mean, like, you know, is that, is that the, you're, then you start to ask yourself, though, like, is that the ceiling? Is that as far yeah. as we're going with this conversation? Because we obviously need to go a lot further. But you have to find those opportunities in politics. You know, you can choose to be someone who criticizes that, or you can choose to be someone who tries to take advantage of that. And capitalize. And say, okay, now let's take advantage of that and go further. Definitely. You need to seize your moments. Um, so, so we wanted to touch upon, I think this is the last thing we want to touch upon, is that we're all here like in diaspora kind of, and we want to touch upon the... Um, the power of diasporas and the communities in diasporas. What do, what do you think about that? How can we as communities in diaspora kind of somehow move so I, the conversation forward as well? I feel like all three of us here are, are all playing our parts in some ways, but for everybody else in the diaspora, the millions of us, what's the best way to, to take that power and concentrate it? Well, look, I mean, I think, you know, Palestinians maybe more than almost any other people in the world. We are a, a nation of diaspora because of a very recent sort of expulsion from our homeland. Many of us stayed and that's wonderful, but we have to be very careful. I'm always very concerned with not seeing ourselves, not fragmenting ourselves. So saying, well, we're the Palestinians in Palestine and we're the Palestinians yeah. in Europe and we're the Palestinians in America. Like we're all just Palestinians, okay? And Agreed. 
we all have different experiences because of the different hands that fate has dealt us. But almost every Palestinian who doesn't live in Palestine um, lives outside of Palestine because of, of Israel. So it's not by choice. And so we all have to see ourselves as, as one uh, people. And so now we'd have different roles, right? Different roles and different sort of responsibilities. But I don't think Palestinians in the diaspora have to do much different than Palestinians who live in Palestine, which is to, comp which is to say, we should all be continuing to tell the story of our people and the continuing to tell the story of our land and our history. Let's support each other, no matter where we live, and understand that we're all in this together. And so um, I, I appreciate like the way you, your question, but I would urge us all just to simply see ourselves as Palestinians, all with equal responsibilities and around the world, wherever we are. And it basically comes down to the same thing, which is reminding people all the time that we are human beings, that we are people with a proud history, that we are people who deserve rights like anybody else, and we're not gonna stop talking about it until we get it. And you can do that whether you live in the old city of Jerusalem or Budapest. And so, so to me, it's really just all one unified goal and objective and responsibility no matter where we live. Okay. Agreed, agreed, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a Palestinian, and it's as simple as that, whether you're a Palestinian who lives anywhere or within Palestine. Yeah, and we, we have to be careful, because remember, the Israelis have tried to do that to us. The Israelis have tried to create, um, even just in Palestine, they've tried to create a system, a, a legal system, right? They say, well, there's yeah. Jerusalem Palestinians, there's West Bank Palestinians, there's Gaza Palestinians, there's 1948 Palestinians, and they try to treat each of them differently to make us feel like we should be fragmented. We have, to reject, we, have to, we have to reject that. We have to say, no, we are all Palestinians, no matter where we are in the world, and we all have the same responsibilities to Palestine. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys? Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Thank you so much. We loved having you. And Of course. Um, yeah, Listen, I want you guys both to know, I love you both. I'm proud of you both. Keep doing what you're doing, and any way that I can support you, I will. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so much. We'll be we'll continue watching you anywhere you go. Just keep sharing that stuff. We're always going to watch and um inshallah we talk again soon. Yeah. Like we, All right we guys, a have a great day. Hello again, friends. If you like this episode, make sure you tune in next week for a new episode. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to the podcast, all at Unified for Palestine. And remember. Palestine is, was, and will forever be free. See you next week.